0: Welcome, River Rock Bible Church. It's exciting to be here this morning on a Labor Day weekend and uh, be preparing next Sunday for our four-year anniversary. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be in the book of 1 John chapter 2. And this message was one that I was going to give a few weeks ago, but then some things changed and ended up not delivering the message that Sunday. But uh, I was going through our reading plan at River Rock Bible Church. We have an annual reading plan, and I was going through, and we had gotten to 1 John, and I just remember being struck by this passage in 1 John chapter 2, which, by the way, our reading plan ended on Friday, but a brand new reading plan should be up on the website, uh, ready to go for tomorrow morning, so you can follow along there. Uh, Just go and look for our reading plan on our website under the Resources tab, and you can find that. Um, there's nothing better than just spending five to ten minutes a day in the Word of God and allowing Him to speak to you. It's a great way to start your day. Um, but this passage in First John chapter 2 really stuck out to me. It's one that I've, I've preached before, but uh, uh, this is a little bit different in the way that it's, it, uh, it hit me that, that day because I realized that, man, sometimes in my Christian walk, I still feel like I just have so far to go. Uh, you know, I feel like there are times when I'm making strides, I'm moving forward, and then I find that maybe I'm not as far ahead as I think I am. Is anybody else out there like, am I the only one? Okay, good, good. Uh, and so we're all in the same boat today, which is good. So we're going to start in First John chapter 2, but I want us to understand clearly who John is speaking to. The first thing you've got to understand is that John has written this letter. This is the Apostle John, and he's written this letter to a a church. This is a group of people. These are people who have already put their trust in Jesus Christ. And we see this very clearly in verses 12 through 14. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven because of Jesus' name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you've come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have had victory over the evil one. I've written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have victory over the evil one. And then he goes directly into what the passage that we're going to look at today. And the reason I bring these verses up is because it was a great reminder to me, all the different people that John speaks to, he speaks to the children in the faith. He speaks to the young adults in the faith, the young men in the faith. And he speaks to the parents, the fathers in the faith. And it was just a reminder that every single one of us is at a different level spiritually. But the encouragement that he's about to give us is, is an encouragement for all Christians at all levels. The book of John is, is a call to back to the basics John is trying to remind these believers at this church. He's trying to remind them of the basics of what God has called them to. And there's two really big themes throughout this book. And, and it's really under one umbrella of, of fellowship. It's under this umbrella of fellowship. And so Paul, uh, John is reminding them, hey, first and foremost, you've got to have fellowship with God. And, and you've got to have your, a right relationship with him. But you should also have fellowship with one another that you would be together. And when there's sin or when there's things in your life that get in the way of that, then things don't go right. And sometimes we feel like we get stuck. We feel like we get to a point in our spiritual walk where we're just not moving forward. Maybe even we're, we're reading scripture, but it's just not speaking to us the way it once did. Or we spend time in prayers, but it feels like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And things as simple as coming to church or going to your community group feel like a chore. Has anyone ever been there? Has anyone ever been in that place where you just say, man, I'm, I'm just stuck. Like, I'm doing all the stuff. I'm going through all the emotions. I'm, going, I'm doing everything that I know that I'm supposed to do, but I'm just not going anywhere. I'm just spinning my wheels. And that's what John's going to talk to us about this morning. And I, I just want it to be absolutely clear that what John is talking about, if you were to go back and read through 1 John, he's talking to people who are already... Uh, saved through faith in Jesus Christ. So nothing that he says is about how to gain your salvation. We know that's by faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's not by our works, but by faith. And so everything that he's talking about is how do we live the Christian life? And what I want us to see this morning is this, that misplaced love leads to misused desires, causing us to miss out on lasting fulfillment. I gave you all the answers up front, all right? So great. Have a great week. Uh, No. (laughs) Please stick around for the rest. There's more. But misplaced love leads to misused desires, causing us to miss out on lasting fulfillment. It's kind of the big theme that we're going to look at today. And I want us to dive in First John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. He says this, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So John here is talking about misplaced love. Taking a love that was meant for God the Father and directing it towards other things. Now, I gotta say, I grew up in a tradition, and many of you may know this saying. Uh, The saying went like this, we don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with those that do. Has anyone ever heard that before, right? So that was the saying. That was like our youth group mantra. We don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with those that do. And there were families in our church that, man, we don't play cards, we don't dance, we don't roll dice, uh, and we don't go to movie theaters because those are all worldly things, right? So we've got to cut all those things out. Well, here's what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3.20. He says, all of these things are just the appearance of wisdom. He says these things don't bring you holiness. Abstaining, being difficult, doing all, uh, being difficult on yourself, making it hard on yourself—that's just the appearance of wisdom. That's not true holiness. That's not what God desires for us. And so, uh, it's easy to to say, okay, so don't love the world or the things in it. So I just, uh, you know, I'm going to become Amish and I'm going to I'm, I'm going to live with my kids and and we're just going to like make our own clothes and all this stuff and then we'll be godly, right? No, it's, it's way bigger than that. It's way bigger than that. Those are all actions, and God is more after our heart uh, than anything else. And you can still have a worldly attitude uh, even without the worldly action. So don't fall into that trap of legalism because all that does is you end up beating yourself up and you end up beating other people up with your legalism. So that's, that's a warning against that. So what does he mean by world? What is he talking about when he says, do not love the world or the things in it? Well, first of all, what we have to remember is even, uh, even Jesus himself was in the world. And he was with worldly people. You think about some of Jesus' closest friends, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, people that were on the outside, that Jesus befriends all of these people. And, and this is where he spends his time. When you see Jesus at a party, it's with those people. And so we're not saying, hey, you shouldn't have any non-Christian friends, or you should, you know, just like, like I said, don't draw in, don't think I've got to become a monk or a nun or an Amish person, and that's what it means to be holy. That's not what Scripture is talking about here. So then what is world, and what are the things of the world that John has in mind? It's going to give us a little bit more specific in just a little bit, but when John uses the word world, Throughout his writings in First, Second, Third John and the Gospel of John, he uses it in three different ways. It's the Greek word cosmos. And cosmos can refer to the physical world, like the earth that God created. It can refer to all the people in the world, as in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, or it can refer to the world system. A system that is under the influence of Satan. A system that is under the influence of our fallen sinfulness that happened when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. And here in 1 John chapter 2, that's exactly what John is talking about. He's talking about this broken, destructive world system that seeks to work against God and without God. And that's exactly what he has in mind when he says, don't love the world or the things of it. It's this idea of hostility towards God operating in a system that is without God. And that's what he has in mind. It's, it's a sedu- seductive influence that pulls us away from God. And it competes for the love that we ought to have for him. John is talking about way more than just the love of material objects or things that we have in this world the world has to offer so often it's it's power prestige and influence these things that draw us away and here's the thing is is I'm not saying you have to like hate your house be like oh I hate my house cuz I love God so much I hate my car cuz I love God so much I hate my kids cuz I love God so much no that's not what he's talking about what he's talking about is is that uh, we should not love those things in place of God. We should not seek. There's nothing wrong with having a nice house. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car. There's nothing wrong with dressing nice. The problem comes in when we seek those things above God or we seek those things without God. Power, prestige, influence. Where would we be if there were not godly men and women in leadership roles in our society, in our churches, in our schools, in our government? That wouldn't be a a great place. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem comes in when we try to seek those things apart from God or when we think those things are more important than God. The world offers to uh, to attempt to meet our needs apart from God. It structures life in a way that appears to be independent from God. What we have to understand is that what we love, what we love is evidence of whose we are. If you've been to River Rock before, you've heard me talk about my dad and my mom. And that every time they drop me off at school they drop me off at a friend's house or, or college or camp, uh, my dad would grab, grab me, give me a hug. He still does it to this day. And he says, remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. And as a kid, I thought he meant, oh, I'm John Turner's son, so I better act right or else I'm, I, that, that belt is going to be waiting for me when I get home. But no, he had a much bigger meaning in mind, that you belong to God And whatever you do reflects on him. So what you love is evidence of whose you are. And that's exactly what John is saying. He's saying, look, if you you love the things of the world more than you love God, then that fellowship there is broken. And that fellowship there is broken. And it's going to lead to some disastrous things. That's the misplaced love. So we've got to make sure that God remains our first love. Because if our love is misplaced, then it leads to misused desires. Look at verse 16 with me. He says, for everything that belongs to the world, that's the broken world system, and now he's going to give us specifics of what he's talking about. He says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride in one's lifestyle is not of the Father, but of the world. Now, there's three kind of phrases there that you're probably like, what in the world is he talking about? Lust of the flesh. Now, this isn't just flesh as in the body, but it's our fallen nature. It's our fallen nature. We were all born with a sin nature thanks to Adam and Eve. You can go back and thank them later. If you don't believe me, if you think people are born good, just go volunteer in our toddler class for one Sunday, and you will understand that nobody had to teach them how to hit, steal, cry, whine, and all that stuff. It just comes naturally, right? So we get that. We have a sin nature. It's part of us. But here's the thing. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we're given a brand new nature. It's the nature of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. But here's the problem. See, we have this, this sin nature that we're born with, and we have this spiritual nature that, that Christ gives us when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, and these two are constantly at war with one another. They're battling against each other, and it's a matter of which one are we going to listen to. And the tricky part is this, is that the enemy likes to take things that God intended for good like really, really good things, and he likes to twist them just enough to where they become sinful. Like there are things, there are, there are lusts, there are desires that we naturally have, like eating. I love to eat. I love it. I love fall because I get to wear big, bulky sweaters and I get to eat more. And nobody knows, right? I, I, I love it. Eating is good. Ecclesiastes 9, six says, Eat your food with gladness and drink your wine. Sorry, Baptist friends. Drink your grape juice with a cheerful heart. It says that. It says enjoy these things. There's nothing wrong with enjoying your food, with enjoying a little drink. The problem comes when we become gluttonous or when we overindulge. Now we've taken something that God has given us and meant for good, and we've taken it and we've turned it into a sin. We've turned it into a sin. There's nothing wrong with sleep. And all the moms said, amen. amen. Yeah, all the moms of babies said, yeah yeah there is nothing wrong with sleep i love a good eight hours of sleep it feels great the problem comes when it becomes laziness when eight hours turns to like 14 right or you know a couple naps throughout the day laziness is the sin sleep is something that god created to restore our bodies to give us the energy to go do the work but the problem comes when we take that lazy that sleep and we apply rest a little too much and we become lazy it it, that's where we get into these great things that God created. Another, another great one, sex. I love it. I love it. We're going to talk about it for the next three weeks. It's going to be kid appropriate. Don't worry. We're going we're to talk about sex. Uh, how do you talk to your kids? How do we help our kids understand it? How do married couples need to understand sex? What do singles need to know about sex and marriage from the word of God? We're going to talk about it for three weeks. I encourage you to be here and be a part of that. Sex is a great thing when it's used the way God designed it between one man and one woman who are in a marriage committed to a lifetime together it becomes a beautiful thing that unites you and is, is enjoyable like God made it feel good for a reason but you take it outside of that and it, it becomes the difference between having a fire in the fireplace and a fire on the living room rug right? big difference fire in the fireplace is great fire on the living room rug not so much so we've got to understand these things that God has created within us that, the, that Satan, our enemy, and, and our sin nature wants to take and wants to twist and use all these things in a way that go against God. That's the, the lust of the flesh. The world appeals to our normal appetites and tempts us to, to satisfy them in ways that don't honor God. And the struggle comes in where we have to say, no, I know this is what culture says is normal. And I know, I do know that this is a God-given desire that I have. But I know that I need to use that desire in a way that honors him. I need to use it in the way it was designed to be used. So that's the lust of the flesh. The other one, the next one is lust of the eyes. Now, I love this because ancient Jews recognized that the eyes were the window to the soul. So if, if I could get your eyes, if I could get you to see something then I could get inside of you, right? I, I, I could find that window into your soul. And so we see that, that this lust of the eyes is, is the desire for something bigger, something newer, something shinier, something prettier. And we know that it affects us all. All you need to do is turn on TV for 15 seconds, and you're going to see how quickly... The bigger, the shinier, the newer comes across. Just take a, a drive down 35 and look at the billboards and all the stuff that they're advertising. They're trying to get in; these pictures get in through your brain, and then they begin drawing you away. And suddenly, you find yourself in a place where you're you're not content with what God has already blessed you with. You find yourself dissatisfied and just craving more and more and more. And here's the thing: you get more, and it's never enough. It's never enough. Uh, and, and what happens is these, these pictures begin to affect our actions, and then actions pretty soon develop into a lifestyle. They develop into a lifestyle that's pulled us away from God. I think when, when it comes to TV, movies, social media, books, magazines, the, the content that we take in, I'm not saying we need to get rid of all those things. I'm not saying uh, you know, we should never watch TV, we should never watch movies, we should never be on Facebook. That's not what I'm saying at all. We just have to be wise in how we do it. We have to understand what is feeding us. What is, our, what is our, our, our mind, what is happening to our mind as we look at these things? And I think we need to keep in mind Psalm 119 verse 37. It says this. It says, Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. Like, turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. So when your best friend is posting about her 10th carnival cruise that she's gone on this year or royal caribbean cruise and you're sitting there like man i wish i could go on a cruise honey how come you never take me anywhere right or you know your your friend gets a new girlfriend and you're like man i wish i had a newer model uh you know (laughs) and you're like ah gosh you know what is going through your mind or hey my kid made the ab honor roll my kid made the ab honor roll and they're posting all this stuff and all of a sudden, you become dissatisfied with what God has already given you. It's the, it's the eyes. It's the window to our soul. We have to be careful because it can affect us deeply. The last one is this. He says, the pride in one's lifestyle. This is a desire to be known by men, to be praised by men. That everything you do, and I will be completely honest with you, this is one that I've struggled with my entire life my entire life. I don't know if it's because I'm the youngest and maybe my mama and dad didn't love me enough. No, they loved me a lot. But I have always been, like for me, I was, I was a pretty smart kid in school. Hopefully I'm still a pretty smart kid. But it wasn't enough just to get 100 on the test. I had to be the first one done. And I had to slam my pencil down and walk to the teacher's desk and slam my paper down so that everyone knew not only did Charlie get 100 on his test, but he was the first one done. Like there's just something in me that needs that. And ministry is probably the worst job you can have when you have that desire for approval all the time. And it's, it's there. It's inside of me. And I have to fight against it all of the time because what we've got to realize is that God's glory is so rich and so full. And when we've put our trust in Jesus Christ, he looks at us and there is nothing we could possibly do to earn any more of his approval, or to lose his approval at any point, we may have a, a bit of a broken relationship because of sin in our lives. we might have lacking in that fellowship, but there is nothing we could ever do to make him make him love us any more or any less and I never understood that until I had kids, like my kids there is nothing they could do, nothing they could do; they could go to Texas University and I would still love them (laughs) just the same as I do now. Like nothing they could do that would affect how much I love them. And there's nothing great they could do that could make me love them anymore. And we we fight this all the time. Like if you have siblings, you know what it's like. Um, My wife and I are training for a marathon in January. Every once in a while we take one of the kids with us running and The first question they want to know, was I faster than? Like, it doesn't matter if you're faster than. Like, there's no competition. Were my grades higher than? Did I do better than? Look how high, how much taller I am. I'm like, no, like we, that doesn't matter to us. We love you. There's nothing you can make us do to love you anymore. Uh, Seeking man's glory is just emptiness. In fact, the word that's used here for pride uh, in the Greek has such a deeper meaning. It refers to arrogance, boldness, It's a conviction of self-sufficiency. It's often used to describe someone who's a braggart, who's trying to impress people. Everybody has that person at the office, right? He's got a one-up. Like somebody tells a joke, he's got to tell another joke. If somebody laughs, he's got to laugh louder. If somebody gets something new, he's got something else. If somebody tells a story, he's got a better story. Anybody know that person? Right? Anybody struggling to love that person? Amen. Yes, those people, that's exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about these people that constantly have to brag. People have always tried to outdo. You think this is new? You think this is just American culture? No, people have always tried to outdo and outbuy other people. Going all the way back, people have always tried to outdo one another in importance. It's this boastful pride of life. Have you ever asked your question, why do so many people? buy houses and cars and clothes that they can't afford to impress people that they're nev- never going to meet? Why do so many people work so hard? Students, why do people join so many clubs and try to try to make all the grades, join the clubs, do all the activities? Why? To impress other people, to say, look what I did. Look what I did all by myself. Or, or here's my favorite one is when people try to spiritualize this. They try to take something good, and they they twist it, and it becomes a prideful thing. Like, look how many Bible studies I'm in right now. I'm going to seven different Bible studies. I once had a friend who would brag about their four-hour quiet time. I was like, dude, you need to get a job. (laughs) If you've got four hours for, like, Jesus didn't even have a four-hour quiet time. You need to find a hobby or something else. Like, Like, man, if I get 15 to 30 minutes, that is a great day for me. I don't know what you do that you can have a four-hour quiet time. And, but for that person, it was like, oh, look how spiritual I am. Look how holy I am. Look how smart I am. Look how wealthy I am. And all of these things play into the boastful pride of life. It's, it's all about being affluent, smart, holy, better than other people. We sacrifice our honor and integrity In return for notoriety and a feeling of importance, one author says it this way: It says, "Rebellious pride, which uh, that the boastful pride of life is this rebellious pride, which refuses to depend on God and be subject to Him, but attributes to self the honor due God. It figures as the very root and essence of sin. Think about it. You go all the way back to the Garden. What was it that Satan used to tempt Eve?" He said, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. You think that's playing on somebody's pride? You think that's playing on his pride? In fact, I want us to look at two examples real quick. I want us to look at Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. We're going to see very clearly how the enemy uses the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He says this in verse, verse 6, chapter 3 in Genesis. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. So what you see, it's good for food. That's the lust of the flesh, right? And delightful to look at. That's the what? Lust of the eyes. eyes. And then it goes on, and it says, uh, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. What is that? The boastful pride of life. All three, right there in the garden at the very first sin. And what happens? Adam and Eve. Both eat of the fruit. And their relationship with God is now separated. God has to place them outside of the garden. That fellowship with God is broken because of their sin. Now, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus in Matthew. uh, When he's tempted in Matthew chapter 4, Satan comes to him after 40 days. No food, no water. He's been fasting 40 days Satan comes to Jesus and he says, hey, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. What is that? The lust of the what? Flesh. Yeah. He says, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus replies to scripture, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So Satan takes him through another trial. He takes him up high. He takes him to the, to the mountain. And he says, look at all this. Look at everything as far as the eye can see. I'll give it to you. What is that? The lust of the eyes. He says, I'll give you all this. You'll be king. You'll be ruler over all this. And Jesus says, no. Jesus says, no. He responds again with scripture. And then finally, takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple, the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, look, look at all these people down here. If you were to throw yourself down, Scripture says that the Son of Man's feet will not be injured. So if you were to throw yourself down, the angels from heaven will catch you, and all these people will know that you're the Son of God. What is that? That's the pride of life. He's trying to appeal to Jesus' pride. And Jesus again responds with Scripture and says, No, uh, Scripture says to worship God alone. I'm not going to do it. Scripture says don't put the the Lord your God to the test. I'm not going to do it. And he overcomes. And what happens? Jesus goes on and he continues to, to walk with the Lord. He has this intimate fellowship with God in a way that we can only imagine. So a big difference between these two. Both both parties tempted with the same things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful, boastful pride of life. Yet they one overcomes and the other one doesn't. And here's something that that I want us to see real quick is that worldliness is not so much about actions as it is about our attitude. It's not so much about our actions as it is about our attitude. Um, The world is going to appeal to us through our flesh, through our eyes, through our pride, and what we have to understand is that that worldliness is not going to just like happen. Worldliness in our lives, this love of the world that John talks about, is something that's going to slowly creep into our lives. And I can't tell you how that is for you or what that looks like for you, but, but I know for me at times it's like I wake up one day and I'm like, how, how did I get here? How did I get here? I heard a story of a man uh, who volunteered with his church to go help this elderly woman. She was on a septic system, and the job that he was assigned to do was to clean out the septic system. And he was like, mm-hmm. like I don't want to clean out the septic tank. Like, I'll do anything else. But that was the job that he was assigned. And so he started the day, like, with his shovel, like, very clearly. I mean, you're, you're talking about some messy stuff. And he's shoveling it way over here into the wheelbarrow. And then pretty soon, some drops on his shoe. And so he's like, well, I guess I don't have to be as careful anymore. And he starts shoveling. And then pretty soon, he realizes it's all over his pants. So he says, you know what? It's already all over me. I may as well climb inside and before long he's shoveling it all over and he's covered from head to toe in this filth. That's exactly how it happens to us. We dip our toe into the world just a little bit, just enough and then we're sucked in and before we know it we realize, oh my gosh, I spent six hours of my day looking at Facebook today. Like my kids have beards now. (laughs) Even my daughter, like... (laughs) kids are fully grown or we we just we we slowly slowly get drawn in it rarely happens immediately and that's that's the thing that we have to look out for because this is how it affects us that that the bible becomes boring prayer becomes a difficult chore even our fellowship with christians seems empty and disappointing and it happens slowly over time oh you know what i think i'm going to sleep in today you know what i i just don't have time for quiet time You know what, uh, well, I missed community group last week. I think I'll miss one more time. You know what, Uh, they don't have donuts at church anymore, so I don't think I'm going to go. And before long, we're separated from fellowship with those that we need most. And it leads, leads us to miss out on lasting relationship. Verse 17 says this. He says, in the world, with its lust is passing away. What's happening to the world? It's passing away. It's going to be burned up. It's going away. But the one who does God's will, what does it say? The one who does God's will remains forever. Remains forever. That means, and again, he's not talking about salvation here, but what he's saying is that if you seek to do God's will every day in your life, if you can keep yourself separate from the love of this world system, then what happens is when you pass from this world, whether Jesus comes back or you die, what happens, you're not clinging onto life and trying to cling on to every little thing because this is all you have. No, your life just fades into eternity and death becomes something that you look forward to because you know what's waiting for you on the other side. And it's something that so many people struggle with and I love that he, he uses this word. It's another word that John uses often for lives. It, it's the word "meno." It means to remain, to dwell. He uses it in John chapter 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He uses it in John chapter 15. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him. It's this idea of remaining in the presence of God. It's an abiding life of fellowship with God is this, this idea of fellowship with God, rejecting the sinful things of this world, and it moves into a life that really has no ending. Because if you're living with heaven in mind, and if you're living in in the idea of, I'm living with God right now, then when you're ushered into eternity, and you're in his presence, it's not going to be like God walking up saying, hey man, it's been a while since I've talked to you, glad you're here. It's going to be like, hey, uh, we just hung up. Now you're here, pulling in the driveway. Like that kind of relationship with God. It's one that's characterized by our personal obedience to him. Obedience to God will not be affected by the passing away of the world and its vain desires. My question to you this morning is, are are you feeling empty, unfulfilled? You feel that lack of zeal? I'm not here to, to tell you, where the problem is, I'm just here to draw attention to the reality that if if you're finding it hard to open up your Bible, if you're finding it hard to show up to church, if you're finding it hard to go to your community group, finding it hard to spend time in prayer, that my encouragement to you is this, take some time to reflect and ask God, God, has there been some worldliness that has crept into my life? Has there been something in my life? Is there some sin that's keeping me from having that intimate fellowship with you? I don't know what that is for you. There may be nothing. There may not be anything. My, my challenge to you, when I read this passage, for me, it was as simple as just saying, all right, Lord, what is it? Where's, where's the stuff in my life that's got to go? I need you to show me. I can't tell you what that is for you. I can't even tell you what that looks like for you because for some of you, man, you can, like your job is to be on Facebook. And that's okay. Like, that's all right. And for you, that's not not a distraction. Um, But for others of us, it may mean, you know what? Maybe I need to take a break. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is for you, but I just want to encourage you to spend some time to honestly reflect on what God is saying and and see if there are things in your life that have begun competing for the love that God desires for you. Because when, when we have misplaced love, We find that we have misused desires that cause us to miss out on that lasting fulfillment on our relationship with Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, you are not alone in this. The Apostle Paul himself in Romans 7, he says, The things that I want to do, I do not do. And the things that I do not want to do are the very things that I do. If the Apostle Paul says that, how much more for us are we going to find ourselves battling against this? You're not alone. You're not, your pastor is first and foremost there with you, wrestling with these very things. And I love what John says in chapter 5. He, he reminds us later that we don't have to overcome this on our own because it's already been overcome. Let's look at First John chapter 5. It says this, it says, for this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. Now his commands are not a burden because whatever has been born of God conquers the what? Conquers the world. Talking about the world system, he says, this is the, the what? This is the, that has conquered the, read that out loud. What, what conquered the world? Our faith. Our faith in who? Our faith in Jesus. And the one who is, is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. See, Jesus has already conquered the world and through our faith, we have already overcome the world. We've already overcome the world because he overcame it for us. So we, we come back to this idea of simply walking in obedience by faith every single day. And taking the time, as difficult as it may be from time to time, to just say, God, I know this is going to hurt, but show me. Show me where I love other stuff more than you. Show me where there's sin in my life so that I can have that fellowship with you, so that I can have that eagerness to be with you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today.